0: Media Ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.cornerstone.org, or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles, Philippians four. We've taken a little bit of time all from Philippians uh, for our Advent series and for the New Year, and we come back today, and we actually come back in a really good place. Uh, for two different reasons. Number one, uh, we go from the theology to the application part of this. We're going to see that really strong and hard, I think, this morning. We'll see that consistently in the weeks to come. But also, uh, we, we as we make this transition in Philippians 4, we begin to see some instruction that truly does uh, call us to holy living. How many of you, uh, as children... Said that you would never tell your children one day, because I told you so. <laughs> you know, a, were, were those not some of the most offensive words, you know, that as a child, why? Because I told you so. And yet, how many of us have now made that transfer of, you know, and told, whether that was in a moment of haste, whether it was a moment of frustration, or if it was a matter of authority, that we said because I told you so. That authority by itself was enough. And all of a sudden we begin to understand that. Now again, sometimes it's just frustration. It's the urgency of the moment. And we just said because I told you so. But there's other times that now we understand the authority of that position of parent. We understand the responsibility. And is there not under that responsibility and that authority, sometimes just sufficient to say, because I told you so? When we get into good biblical theology, there's an authority there. There's a responsibility that God has taken on that he is, uh, you know, he's just loving us enough. Could God say, because I told you so? Yes. And I promise you, every one of us would have to be obedient to that if we probably understood the relationship. He is God Almighty. He's authority. And yet in his kindness, God has explained Many, many times, the reason behind instructions that he gives us this is foundational theology. He explains not only what has happened but what that causes for us to to, come, to to now do in our lives to this transformation that we talk about all the time. Good theology gives us a foundation for godly living, and we 're really going to see this in the last chapter here of Philippians. Paul really uses that style throughout. Uh, you can go to any of Paul's books and you're going to see that element there. He talks about the theology in Romans, uh, probably the most theological of all the New Testament books. He gives us all this theology, but he ends very much in a practical, here's the application to your life. We see it more so even in these uh, epistles that we see like Galatians, Ephesians, and Philippians. Good theology, folks, and we try to make much of that here at C.S., But let's make sure that we get it right. God could, on his own authority, command to say, because I said so. And yet in his love and his kindness, and because he's working with us, and sometimes we have a little bit thick heads, in his grace and his mercy, he actually explains why we are to do some things. And that's what we see today with Paul. He he, he takes this whole theme of, of Philippians... And this humility of Christ and how we should follow in this humility. Remember what he said? Have this attitude, have this mind, this life in you that was in Christ Jesus. And he points to the humility of Christ who left heaven and came and dwelt among us, died this downward spiral that we talked about all the way through Philippians chapter 2. Well, now Paul is now calling upon that good theology to transfer into godly living. When we started the book of Philippians, Paul wrote about how much he loved them. Do you remember that? That if you were just the Philippian church, you're going, yeah, I think he loves us the most. You know, it's like the Apostle John, you know, he said, okay, I I think Jesus loves me the best. And maybe Jesus made everybody felt that way. But the Philippian church, they kind of had some good reasoning because when he opens up this book, this letter to them, he talks about how much he loves them. And as we come to the last chapter, we see that in verse 1, Philippians 4, 1, notice what Paul says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Do you see all the, the love there? Now, again, as we opened up this book months and months ago, do we really consider Paul as this touchy-feely kind of guy? I mean, you see, I mean, is is Paul a hugger? I mean, I I don't know. I don't know if he just comes up and he's, you know, hugging everybody. I don't know. I I see him a little bit on the non-hug side. And yet when it comes to this Philippian church, he just kind of gushes over them. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and I long for my joy and crown stand firm. Thus in the Lord, my beloved. All these different acclamations that he makes toward them and expressing his love for them. And he goes on and on. But then he gets right into um, what we would say a strong encouragement. Sometimes we use the word exhortation. Other times we use uh, other words, command. Uh, Here he gives a command, an exhortation to two ladies in the church. Remember when we started Philippians, we said that uh, this is a really, really good church. They love Jesus well. And yet within this church, we know that there's a problem that's going on. There seems to be two ladies that um, have difference of opinions about something. And we'll look into that. Uh, We really don't know what that difference of opinion is on. Okay, we're not told. And, And there's several times that the Bible doesn't tell us facts probably for a good reason. If it was really, really important, I think it would be mentioned here. But it was a difference of opinion of how they saw something. And we're going to see a little bit later on, I don't think that this was a theological issue or a moral issue. Because Paul never shied away from addressing those directly. But here he doesn't mention it. I think... One wanted green carpet, one wanted red carpet. I, I don't know what one One got their feelings hurt because they weren't asked to cook Wednesday night supper for the church. I, I don't know what it was. But we don't think that more than likely it was theological in nature or moral in nature because Paul would have addressed that. But look what he does when he connects good theology to godly living. Philippians 4, two. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. But very, very short. and be one of those things that if we're just doing our morning devotions, we might pass right on to the uh, the next verse or two and get down to the verse that says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It, this would be probably one of those side issues or one of those side verses that we're going, okay, I don't know what was going on. Let me just go into the next thing. But we pause this morning. We pause on purpose. Because there's a great lesson in here. And the general theme is good theology, everything that Paul said so far about Christ and who we are in Christ now has to be transformed into the way that we live our lives. It's a very simple statement. I entreat Yodi and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. The word entreat means to call near. And there's scholars have kind of pointed out several things. That he doesn't just say, okay, I entreat Yodi. Uh, Iodia and Syntyche to a green lord. He actually entreats both of them. He shows total non-partiality in this. The command is to both of them. This drawing near, this exhortation, this strong coaching suggestion that he makes here is to both of these ladies. He's not blaming one or the other and he's not excusing one or the other. The other thing, he, he calls them near, not to the subject at hand, but to what they have most in common, Jesus Christ. You know, we've said it many, many times before. You know, you know those license plates, house divided? They, they, they had a, somebody on the news the other day, a new married couple. He's a, uh, a, TC, a TCU grad, she's a Georgia grad. And they were just making a big deal about house divided. Here they are, married for five months, and they're already house divided tomorrow night. And they were going back. They were were either embellishing it for the camera, but they were going at it, you know. And we talk about, you know, how little divisions, and we can have fun with stuff like that, like sports. Uh, But something went on between these two ladies. They divided them. And the problem, as much as we can tell, is that it began to divide the church. That all of a sudden, somebody said, well, you know, I I think Yodi is right. What do you mean Yodi is right? She shouldn't have done this. And all of a sudden, people started taking sides. And something that began as kind of a difference of opinion, somebody's hurt feelings between two people, all of a sudden began to filtrate through the church and divide the body of Christ. Now, that could never happen nowadays, could it? I mean, churches have opinions about things and, and maybe divide over, you know, even friendships like, yeah, they hurt my feelings. Paul asks them to do something. He entreats them. That, that word, draw near. I want you to draw near, but here's the basis that I want you to draw near. On the basis of, of your relationship in Jesus Christ. This may seem really, really, really simple, folks, but think about what Paul is doing. He's practicing everything that he's covered in chapter 2. When he said, this is what Christ did, he left the heavenlies. Remember we talked about it months ago, this purposeful downward spiral that Jesus takes? That here we are, we, we always want to go upward. And Christ said, have this mind in you, this downward mobility when it comes to yourself. He says there in Philippians 2, think of others more than you think of yourselves. That is like the most unhuman, unnatural thing for us to do. We're concerned about ourselves. And yet that was his instruction. But it wasn't instruction of just kind of pie in the sky thinking. It was based on the reality, this is what Christ did. And this is the example that he lives before you. Folks, when it all comes down to this, the purpose of theology isn't so that we can have these long words or that we can go around, oh, you don't even know what that means and kind of show off to other people. No, the whole purpose is that that solid truth of good theology directs our lives because it's reflective in godly instruction. And godly instruction needs to turn into godly living. And that's all that he does here. But there's something else I want to point out. In the simplicity of entreating Euodia and entreating Syntyche in the Lord, he's not asking them to be uniform. One of the things, I don't know if you remember that sermon from months ago, that when Paul in chapter 1 and 2 of Philippians, he does not say, okay, you should be Christian clones. Everybody has to think the exact same way, and everybody has to look the same, feel the same. He says, no, there's not going to be uniformity but there needs to be unity. What a word for 2023, guys. In a world where everybody is expressing their opinions, whether it's wanted or not, when everybody thinks they, that their opinion has great, great value, you know, God's not calling us into uniformity. If I believe this, now again, we're not talking about theological truths. If all of a sudden you came in and said, you know, Bobby, I actually think that there's many ways to, to be made right with God. Jesus is one of them, but I think there's about five others. We would disagree on that. Okay? That, that's a disagreeable thing because that's good, solid theology. But how many times in everyday life are we going to kind of disagree in opinion or preference over other things? How many of you had black-eyed peas and the cabbage and all that on New Year's Day? Collars, collars. Okay, yeah. See, I obviously... I didn't, because I didn't even know what was on the plate. Okay, And some of you are like, oh my goodness, you know, you step back. Because I, you know, is Christianity one of those things, okay, we all have to eat the same thing on this day to this? No, he's not talking, calling us into uniformity, but he is calling us into unity. Wisdom will allow us to know the difference. Husbands and wives, do you think that God designed you and your mate to be uniform and think the same thing on all things? Obviously, we've missed the will of God, if so. Now, (laughs) is there not great wealth? And having two different opinions sometimes and two different approaches. As long as you come back and are unified. And that's what he's called the church to do. How boring it would be if everybody really thought the exact same thing. I mean, it may seem really good for, for the moment. But there wouldn't be growth. There wouldn't be maturity. There wouldn't be the stretching. That's what he asked here. Because as much as what he says in verse 2 is what he doesn't say. Hey, guys, y'all need to get your act together, and here's the right thing. Focus on this. No, he points to not the matter at hand, but to Jesus Christ. Folks, this is good theology, and it connects to godly living. Basically, what he's saying is, do you have to agree on all things? No. Is he saying just get along? No, he's not even saying that. He said, no, because of your unity in Christ, let's make sure that we keep the important things, the important things, and there has to be agreement there. There's unity in that, but all these other things, you're going to have some different things. But Christ trumps everything. Part of my growing up, uh, rights to manhood in Blacksburg, Virginia, was the day that I finally got to sit at the Rook table with all my uncles and my grandfather and all that. Anybody ever play Rook? Yeah. I mean, that was a rite of passage. That at like 12 years old. And I got to sit down. And I can only imagine. They put me with my grandfather at at first because he was the most godly of everybody. He really was. And so he had patience when I just played stupid cards. Because my dad would call me out. Why did you play that? Don't you? But there is one thing, even though I had to learn the skill of how to play rook, there's one thing I knew from the very beginning. Rook trumps everything. That's a pretty important rule to know in that game. And Paul is saying here, guys, I'm not trying to be silly about it. Jesus trumps everything. He takes these two ladies to have a difference of opinion. They've hurt each other's feelings. Somehow they're apart on these things. It is starting to filter through the church and bring separation to the church. He doesn't call them to uniformity. Hey, you have to think the same thing. No, he allows them to have a difference of opinion. What he points to is something bigger. And he says, I entreat you to come together in Christ. Is that a good word for the local church for CS in 2023? I mean, is that an applicable word? Is that an applicable word for your family, an extended family? Is that an applicable word for even the workplace and other relationships? To begin to discern the wisdom between those things that are kind of important and those things that are ultimately important. See, from everything we can tell, this problem, again, is not theological in nature, moral in nature. Why do we assume that when it's not said? Because Paul had no problem addressing theological or moral issues. Go read Ephesians 4 if you uh, doubt Paul addressing directly <laughs> false teaching. Go read uh, 1 Corinthians 5 if you doubt Paul addressing moral issues within the church. Paul is not a silent bystander going, well, I really wish they'd get their act together. He's not timid at all when it comes to theological and moral issues. He addresses them, you would even say maybe harshly, directly. This must not have been one of those situations. But this matter is of concern because this personal matter now is starting to infiltrate the rest of the church. So what does Paul do? He entreats these two ladies. Now look at verse 3. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, we, we really don't know exactly who true companion is, but there's another person, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Folks, this is key. Here's a learning point for us today. This is so important that we get what Paul does here. He does four things. Four things. First of all, he points immediately to the unity of Christ. Back there in, in, you know, in the first, in in verse two. Agree on the Lord. Secondly, he calls for a mediator. To hear both sides and to help. Not to take sides, but to help. Do you think a lot of situations could be helped by uh, uh, true, hearted counseling, help? Just somebody to hear both sides. And and their whole purpose wasn't to point blame on one or the other, but their whole purpose was that the majesty of Christ and the, the work of Christ would go forward. And that's what he does. He said, look, I, I went involved. Since it's now involving some other people, I, I, the true true companion, will you help be kind of like a mediator? Third thing that he does here, he points the value of each lady. He said, you have labored for the gospel and you've worked in the past side by side. You, you You're profitable to my ministry and to the ministry of the church. And the fourth thing that he does, he reminds them of eternal consequences and the eternal connection that their names are in the book of life. I've it before, you know, guys, just because we're in the same church and just because uh, we're fellow Christians doesn't need, mean that we need to go uh, camping for a month together. I mean... There'd be some wisdom in there. There's some people that you would want to camp with. There'd be some people that you wouldn't want to camp with. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about, okay, uniformity and, you know, just this happy little, peaceful, everybody get in a circle and and sing a nice, happy song. No, what he's saying is, hey guys, even with our differences, this unity of Christ, Christ, Christ trumps everything, this is where we put our focus. This is masterful. Paul took good theology, and he connected it to everyday life. For three chapters, he has been focusing on the humility of Christ. This attitude that he says, have this attitude, this mind in you, which was in Christ Jesus. And actually, the Greek would say, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That is, if you're a Christian, the very Spirit of God now resides in you, and you actually have the ability to have this mind. One of the things I, I probably get frustrated with the most in counseling of Christians. I mean, make sure I get the context right. Well, I don't know. That's how my mama was, my grandmother was, and her mama. That has bearing. It does. We are products of our environment and products of, of our heritage. But Christ trumps everything. Either he really does bring transformation to the way that we think and Experience life or or he doesn't. Either this is all a fairy tale and we've just kind of spiritualized it or there's truly impact that Christ died, rose again, the very Spirit of God has come now upon Christians and given us the opportunity to break molding that was generations long. Doesn't mean it happens overnight doesn't mean that the minute we become a Christian that all the old habits and all those things are gone. But now we have opportunity to have victory over sin and victory over those things that enslaved us before. And one thing that can enslave us is generations of a mindset. Would you agree? Just been passed down. I mean, I know people that worry a lot. They, they, they worry a lot. And one of the things that they say as we begin to discuss that in counseling is, well, you know, my mom was a warrior. My grandmother was. And I get it very honestly. And I don't doubt that at all. But my hope isn't that all of a sudden there's going to be a, a, a break in the DNA. No, what my hope is that the very Spirit of God, the victory of Christ, gives us an opportunity to think differently and be transformed. This is the practical hope of the gospel. There is a spiritual hope of the gospel that you and I are made right with a holy God, that we will live with him before uh, forevermore. But folks, do not, do not discount, do not put aside that the gospel has power to change daily life. And that really good theology calls for holy living. That's the bottom line, guys. You can know all the verses in the world. You can go to all the Bible studies that you want. You can quote Greek words and this and that. But if the knowledge that comes from that doesn't change your heart and your mind and your life, I would say that it's kind of a waste. The point wasn't information. It was transformation. Transformation. And so I would ask you this morning, what is 2023 going to be for you? Is it going to be a year of information or a year of transformation? What do you you want it to be? Paul's appeal to these two ladies was not to go learn more theology. wasn't to go attend a Bible study. That's not what he says. I entreat you, I, I ask you to draw near each of you in Christ Jesus. Paul's description in in verse 3, it seems very obvious that that these ladies have Jesus, that they love Jesus, and they're dedicated to Jesus. They've been involved in ministry. They've been helpful in ministry. These are not people, these are not gospers. These are not people that are going around causing confusion and disruption in the church. These are two ladies that if they were here this morning, we would say, oh man, those are like my two favorite ladies in the church. They love Jesus. They have Jesus. But what does this show us? That even if you have Jesus and you love Jesus and are dedicated to Jesus, are sometimes your feelings going to be hurt? Are you going to find a point of friction? I mean, does that happen in marriage? You love each other. Does it happen in Christian marriage? You love each other. You have Jesus. You love Jesus. Does that mean that you always agree on everything? Everything. And so how do you solve that? His room and my room. (laughs) My house and his car. (laughs) Or the tent. No! Jesus trumps everything. If you're truly in Christ. Well, Bobby, does that really work like that? If it doesn't, then we don't have a powerful gospel. The Holy Spirit is not effectual in our lives, guys. It's not a, well, you know, God gives us Holy Spirit to kind of give us some strong suggestions. No, He gives us Holy Spirit to empower us to godly living. He gives us good theology to instruct us on how to live that way. When He said, think of others more than you think of yourselves, it wasn't a suggestion, it was a command. And the only way that it's possible, because my inherent sin nature is now the very nature of Christ. And that's what He meant. Have this mind in yours, Uh, and you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's my only hope. It's your only hope, husband, wife, father, mother, sister, brother. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. He doesn't say no more. What well, he says is come together in what you know is stronger. Remember, you know, we always have a vision verse every year for, for CS. And, and years ago it was, uh, John 3.30. Anybody remember what that says? That's okay. I know. Sherry does. She's back there. Oh, pick me, pick me. <laughs> he must decrease. I mean, uh, he must increase. <laughs> I must decrease. Is that rather simplistic in its form? And yet, is that not one of the most powerful, most challenging thoughts ever in the, in the word of God? That Christ might increase more and more and more in our lives and that we would in, decrease more and more and more, become less and less and less in our lives. So with that in mind, let me give you the vision verse for 2023. I really debated, prayed over, and thought through this, and we'll actually address it uh next week because I actually we'll begin the text next week. But looking forward just a little bit, Philippians 4 5. Two verses down from this whole discussion here. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, the Lord is at hand. Appropriate verse challenge for 2023. In a world where you can express your opinion on every kind of social media, you can. there's so many formats for you to kind of let your feelings be known, your opinions be known, who's right and who's wrong. But would you say that we live in a culture that can be characterized by the word reasonableness? No. Folks, we live in the tragedy of, of people being shot at McDonald's Because their fries were not hot. We have people that are being shot and run off the road because somebody, you know, went in front of them on the, on the road. We live in a really crazy, really jacked up world, guys. And we either, we're gonna, we're gonna be a part of that craziness and a part of that unreasonableness, or we can truly be countercultural, which the gospel calls us to. And so, okay, out of all this unreasonableness, I'm going to be a person of reason. I'm going to be a person. And where are we going to get that reason? From three generations of people that have been very much tainted by their own sin and their, their own fallenness too? Or from good theology and the word of God, empowered by the spirit of God? Can you imagine if every one of us here this morning went out and, and part of our 2023 kind of purpose, direction, calling was to be the most reasonable person at our workplace. The most reasonable person at, at, at when the family all gets together. The most reasonable person in the marriage. Some of you saying, I'm already that. So, I at least can check that one off. <laughs> I mean, do you, do you, why would he have this right after this passage? I mean, right between there, he says, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Always rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Paul's exhortation between these two ladies isn't just being nicer. But to act upon What? To agree in the Lord. Let me give you four action points. We said that Paul's made the transition from theology to to practical application. Let me give you four practical ways to to take what Paul has instructed us, what God has instructed us this morning, and and to uh, apply this to our lives. Number one, here's a goal that you can have for this new year. Learn to separate convictions from opinions. You're entitled to both. Uh, the art of sizing up mountains and molehills. Do you think that as a culture we've lost that, that art? It's a very practical application. Would you say that it agrees with the word that, that Paul's given us? It's in that nature that he's just telling us, okay guys, you know, these ladies probably had opinions, maybe even some of this was convictions, but they were not theological or moral in nature, or I think Paul would have addressed it. Number two. Learn to become a peacemaker and not just a peacekeeper. One of the things that I I do see a lot in in all these years of counseling is that some of you have been trained by your family to be the peacekeeper. Mouth shut. You Remember, hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. And a lot of people sometimes, you've come from a family where there was disruption, there was... You know, sometimes some evil going on, and yet you're told, you know, you don't say it, you don't speak it. you You learn to be a peacekeeper, but peacekeeping is not really what the Bible instructs us to do. It actually says to be a peacemaker. There's a difference. It's a huge difference. To learn the art of leaning in instead of leaning out. By pure confession... I mean, it happened just last week. Carly and I had a discussion. <laughs> and she leans in. It's what you're supposed to do. I'm a lean outer guy. I mean, I am my nature. I don't like conflict. My nature is out of there. I would never instruct somebody in counseling to do that. And yet I know I have to fight that nature. Carly doesn't have to fight her nature at all because she's actually got the right nature there. Let's address this. Let's talk about it. Let's solve this. And I'm baseball, 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 baseball. You know, (laughs) we need to learn the art of that and actually practice art. Number three, learn to pray for the success of the other person. Not just pray for the other person, but pray for the success the art of becoming other-centered, as we were instructed in Philippians 2. And the fourth thing, learn to identify bitterness and pray that God would remove it from you. The art of personal self-awareness and God-awareness. Self-awareness by itself, without Holy Spirit driven, without the Word of God, without good theology, can have some good, But folks, we don't do that apart from the instruction that God has given us. So I'm not just saying, hey, become self-aware. Become self-aware as you're God-aware. And let those two things coordinate. Does that make sense? Are those challenging for you to live out in this next year? I would think that some of us would uh, be challenged even by the end of the day on some of those things. But that's what the Word of God drives us to, encourages, exhorts us, commands us. Not just to have more information about God, even if it's good theology, that's not the stopping point. It's to transform our lives, our marriages, our churches, our families, and our communities. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for the hope that is Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you this morning, Father, as we would come and, Father, as we would uh, look into your word, that, Father, yes, you give us solid foundation of teaching, good theology. You always point us back in the right direction, that is, to your Son, Jesus Christ. And yet, Father, you call us to a transformed life, And Father, one of those areas that you ask for us to command us and treat us, Father, is in daily relationships, whether that's a husband-wife relationship, a parent-child relationship, a church relationship, a relationship at our job. Father, will you help us be known as the reasonable people? And not that we would ride, you know, wear that with pride, but Father, that we would just be aware that through your power and through the victory of Christ and, and transforming power of the gospel, that 2023 can be a different year than even 2022. Transform us, Father. Use us. Father, help us to be peacemakers and not just Peacekeepers. Father, help us to allow Christ to rule even in matters of difference of opinions. We love you and we thank you as we pray all these things in the hope that it's Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.